For listening to WBAI New York 99.5 FM and WBAI.org. This is Driving Forces, where we always bring you the deeper discussion about the issues and people shaping our community and our country. I'm Celeste Katz Marston here with the scintillating Jeff Simmons. Jeff, how are you doing? I don't feel so scintillating today, but as you know, I'm type A, so I've just kept really busy today and I plan the shows for the rest of the year. Excellent. Excellent. Well, I am happy to be here with you and all your type A-ness. So lots and lots going on this week, as always. I feel like I always say that at the beginning of every show, but that's because it is always true. So, of course, I don't know if you caught it, uh, some of it, all of it, but, you know, the Super Bowl this weekend, the excitement of this matchup between the Kansas City Chiefs, San Francisco 49ers. Unfortunately, as you know by now, that was overshadowed by yet another mm. shooting rampage at the Chiefs' victory parade. Dozens of people, including children, were injured. As the president said Wednesday about the gun violence epidemic in this country, quote, we now had more mass shootings in 2024 than there have been days in the year. Wow. So I also just want to take a moment here, Jeff, to note that the woman confirmed killed in that shooting was Lisa Lopez Galvan, a host on KKFI 90.1 FM radio, Kansas City. She had been the host of KKFI's Taste of Tejano program since March of 2022, and she was a local DJ at a lot of special events. So KKFI is a nonprofit community radio station, just like WBAI, and uh, Lisa Lopez Galvan was an important fixture, an important person in her community. So just wanted to say that we're thinking of her family today. Aside from that, uh, more locally, we also know that Democrat Tom Suozzi defeated Republican Mazi Pelop in the special election to replace George Santos in New York Congressional District 3. I did a piece recently for NBC News on how Asian American voters could have made a big difference in that election. So I'm going to be interested to see how those numbers come out once we have them. So, Jeff, what are you thinking about? Well, before we get to what's on my mind, you raise a really good point because I've been seeing more coverage. I feel like you were the first person who reported on the uh, influence of the AAPI community on this election, you know, and I've been trying to follow what some of the takeaways are. But you're right. We're waiting to see what those numbers are. Really, really insightful because this is what happens in all of our districts. I mean, how the changing demographics really can propel someone uh, can propel someone into office or prevent them from uh, from getting uh, for getting into office. But what I've been following here, what I've been following really has been what's gone on a little locally here in New York City. I don't know if anyone has read the headlines today, but two of the top senior people at the fire department were basically their homes were searched today. These are the people who oversee safety inspections on building projects. This is where FBI agents search their homes. A lot of details are not uh, out yet, but apparently these were coordinated search, part of a bigger corruption investigation that was initially focused on whether these these chiefs had been paid nearly $100,000 each in a scheme to help, and this is according to the Times, according to help uh, a scheme to help expedite or arrange building inspections. So that's something I know uh, we're gonna we're gonna follow up on in the future too, because I'm sure it's going to be a topic that uh, is going to continue to dominate discussions, Celeste. 
Absolutely, Jeff. And you are listening right now to Driving Forces with Jeff Simmons. That's him. Celeste Katz-Marston. That's me. This is WBAI New York 99.5 FM and streaming live via WBAI.org. Now, today we are going to have a really important conversation, a conversation that we need to have, and that is going to be about NYCHA and about public housing in New York. So I'm really looking forward to that. But first, Jeff has a quick reminder for you. Uh, and my reminder is, and Celeste and I want to do this on every single show because it's very important to us, but it really is more important to the entire station, to WBAI. And that's to make sure that if you make a point of tuning into WBAI, if we mean something to you, to please do your part, to support us, to support the station, and if possible, to support this show, Driving Forces. Because remember, we rely on your donations. We rely on support from the community that cares about WBAI. We do not rely on corporate America. We, you don't hear ads on the station. You might hear public service announcements from nonprofits or promotions for shows, but you do not hear ads from Coca-Cola or Microsoft or car companies. That's why we need your help. That's why if you have a moment, please go to WBAI.org, WBAI.org. You'll see a green button on, on the homepage. That's to become a BAI buddy. And that's what we'd love for you to do is become a buddy in the name of this show, Driving Forces, or you can make a one-time contribution. You could do that as well of any amount. Buddies like me, we give $15, $20 a month, goes right on our credit card. And at the end of the year, we get a receipt from WBAI so we can declare it on our taxes. So maybe you want to do that too. Head to WBAI.org and please support this show. Thank you. Genuine thanks to all of our supporters. We do appreciate you. So let's get into today's big topic, which is public housing. Now, the New York City Housing Authority is known for many things. Uh, now, among those things is being the focus of apparently the biggest single day federal bribery bust in the history of the Justice Department. So last week's takedown involved 70-70 current and former Housing Authority bureaucrats. They are charged with taking $2 million in bribes to dish out more than $13 million in what are called micro-contracts as a way of getting around competitive bidding rules. Now, while all this is happening, of course, some people who live in NYCHA housing are still struggling, as they have for years, to get proper maintenance of their homes. So to help us really understand what's going on here, our first guest is someone who, in all seriousness, probably knows more about public housing and its problems in New York than anyone. Greg B. Smith is a reporter at the nonprofit news outlet, The City, where he covers all things New York. He's also the author of three books, including Made Men, The True Rise and Fall Story of a New, a New Jersey Mob Family. Now, I worked alongside Greg, or really in awe of his investigative skills at the New York Daily News for many years. I'm sure that many, many people out there have read his stories, and I'm very happy he can join us here on WBAI today. So that said, Greg B. Smith, welcome back to Driving Forces. It's great to be here. So just to start off, how long have you actually been covering NYCHA? How did you get on this beat? Because that's how I first knew you as, as somebody who was sort of relentlessly covering this agency. And, and what has it been like for you covering NYCHA as an investigative reporter? It's frustrating. I mean, it's I started in 2012. So that's like 12 years ago. Um, and uh, basically the, the issues... Um, I mean, the issue has 
really not changed a whole lot because the basic issue is uh, this uh, public housing authority, the biggest one in America, uh, providing a safe and healthy uh, living conditions for New York City's 450,000 public housing residents. And the answer is still no. And that's because the management of this thing has just been unable to really kind of confront kind of systemic institutional baked-in flaws in the way they run this thing. And so here we are talking about the arrests of 70 NYCHA superintendents and assistant superintendents, these mid-level bureaucrats, for perpetuating this bribery thing that's just been going on for years. And that, I mean, that's, I guess the, 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 the theme here is that nothing really seems to change despite many, many uh, eyes on this thing that were not there when I was first writing about this, that were supposed to kind of turn things around and we're still struggling to see that happen. Greg, it's great to have you with us. And, uh, you know, before I uh, continue with the next question, I just want to offer my condolences to you on the passing of your mother-in-law, Mildred, you know, as our listeners don't know, but I, I know your wife well as well. So uh, I just wanted to extend our condolences on, on behalf of Celeste and, and me. Thank you, Jeff. Uh, I appreciate that. So this case has to do with what are called micro-contracts. First, what are those and how is the use of this system supposed to to benefit NYCHA residents. Sure, that's, a, that's an excellent way to frame this. So um, as you probably know, and I think most people know, the um, public contracts are supposed to be competitively bid. That means that you uh, seek multiple contractors and they have to bid against each other. And the idea of that is uh, essentially to get the best bang for the buck. And it's also supposed to be kind of a level playing field where everybody puts in a bid. The bids are sealed. And then you open up the bids and everybody looks at that. Well, that's that takes time. So that is how we have micro contracts. The idea of micro contracts is to allow uh, the local superintendents and the assistant superintendents who are at in the development to get around competitive bidding and the time it takes to go through that process. The idea of it, it just to make it clear about why they were doing this is because they were trying to deal with the problems that they have there and they were trying to speed up repairs. They have had for years, they've had a massive backlog of repair requests. I mean, at this point it's, uh, it's something like 200,000 people are still are waiting uh, resp- responses to all, you know, a whole wide variety of repair requests. So the point of this micro con, uh, contract thing, which is to get around competitive bidding, is to speed it up and to get the jobs done faster. Um, but the problem with it is the there's no oversight. Nobody's paying attention, and there's no competitive bidding. So what is what happens is the superintendents and the assistant superintendents essentially are the pilot of their own craft and they can do whatever they want and they can pick whomever they want because there's no process. And 
what ultimately happened was a very select number of contractors who, uh, in some cases, solicited this business from these these employees on the ground, got hundreds of these contracts to do this kind of day-to-day repair stuff that was supposed to kind of move the ball forward and uh, chip away at the crazy backlog. So that's the context of why we have these micro-contracts. And, and Greg, what's so interesting to me is, and you know my experience too, after being a reporter, I worked at the controller's office for eight years. So I went onto the controller's website to be like, have they audited this? Is this something they looked at? And there are a few audits in 2018, but is this something that the controller's office should have been looking at as well? Because this isn't something new. This has gone on for some time. It could have. I mean, um, I, I started looking at this in 2019 um, because someone had brought it to my attention um, that if you look at these contracts, you're going to see, like, like you know, Joey and Tony's uh, 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 restoration co- uh, corporation gets, like, 40 of these things right in a row. And so, you, and and they're always uh, they're supposed to be under a certain limit. The limit is was for a while five thousand, then they upped it to ten thousand. But at any rate, each one of these things would be just underneath. So it would go four thousand nine hundred ninety five, and there would be forty of these things right in a row. And and so obviously this was a way to get around competitive bidding. But uh, the, the contractor was making out a lot, of, making a lot of money off of this, and. The the problem with it is that NYCHA's contracting system at that time was opaque. It was not in the city system. So uh, then Comptroller Stringer theoretically could have demanded this stuff and looked at it. He did not do that. Uh, but it was very difficult to see. And, in fact, when I first wrote about this, I had to have somebody who was inside giving me this information because it wasn't public. So once you start – to sort this stuff out and look at this multiple uh, awards going to the same guy, then you can see it. And at that point, I wrote a story basically saying that this was a corruption magnet. And, I mean, it's a system that's nobody's looking. That's the, the key to corruption is to have nobody look. And in that case, nobody was looking at this. And so in 2019, I write a story saying that this is a that this, there's uh, a bunch of uh, vendors who keep getting these things, and I also highlighted the fact that the city department of investigation, not publicly, but behind the scenes, had been warning NYCHA that this was a potential disaster. If you're just joining us, this is Driving Forces on WBAI New York. We are talking to. Greg B. Smith of the nonprofit newsroom, The City, about the New York City Housing Authority, huge bribery uh, corruption bust there uh, just last week. And we're trying to figure out what is going on there now. Um, Greg B., I just want to go back for one second, talking about these, you know, this select group of contractors getting all these small bids, small-ish bids, but really making a lot of money that way. So first of all, did they actually end up doing the work? Or are they just getting the contracts and not actually doing anything for the money? It's an excellent question because it was not addressed by the federal takedown. They didn't get into that. They just basically – what they did is they 
arrested 55 current um, NYCHA bureaucrats and 15 retirees, and they charged them with taking these bribes. And the way it would work is the the contractor wanted a 5000 one of the under $5,000 contracts. They would pay him a percentage of that as a kickback. That would be usually it was um, 20%. So you have a $5,000 contract you pay uh the superintendent a thousand dollars and this is you know goes over and over and over this is going on and the 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 issue is that um there's no way to really uh track this stuff the way the system was set up and that meant that nobody was paying attention as to whether these guys were actually doing the work so I was able to document a number of cases where they were paid to do this uh, work in a bathroom. They had to replace the, the bathroom, uh, the, the tub. Uh, I, I don't know what you call those things. It's basically the entire tub area where you it's like a big vinyl thing that goes around. And they were supposed to put that in with these, these um, handles that are uh, uh, supposed to – uh, deal with anyone who has a disability who wants to take a bath. So they, so what happens is they put this stuff in, they said, and the the, uh, the federal monitor, by the way, we, we haven't gotten into this, was looking into this same time in 2019 than I was, and they, they were told to go in and check some of these bathrooms. So they go in to this bathroom, and the handle that they had installed – but by this micro contract was if you leaned on it, it would just collapse. And it was crazy because, and the, the, the issue is that nobody was checking it. So in other words, you, you pay somebody to do a job. If you have an apartment, you'd want to do this, right? You go and you check and make sure they did it. And if they didn't do it, then you go back and you say, you have to fix it. But that NYCHA wasn't doing that. So and yes, the answer is did they did they do what they were supposed to do? And probably in some cases they did, but in other cases they did not. So you know, you talked about you know the big investigation that you did in 2019. Um, and you talked about this for the city. You explained that this was you know a real pitfall, this corruption magnet, as as you said. And there have been other warnings. I think you know you were sort of. I mean, I'll go out there and say this. I mean, I think you were a real pioneer in serious investigative coverage of the New York City Housing Authority. Now, other people maybe are covering this more as well, and we certainly have better technology and so on that can help us uh, sort through records and so on. But I mean, the bottom line thing I want to ask you here is like, if you're raising these red flags, other people maybe, you know, are, are raising these red flags, DOI, why are we hearing about this now? Like, why is this bust happening this, you know, last week as opposed to last year or next year? Like, wh- what is the timeline on this? Is there one? Yeah, sure. I mean, this, this thing that they did on February 6th with the big takedown, which they claimed was the biggest single-day takedown in Department of Justice history, which is pretty impressive, right? Um, but the point of that was to, like, make a big splash. Now, could could they have gone after this five years ago when I was writing about it? Yeah, they could have. Um, but a, But whatever. What they did is they just did a little bit here and a little bit there. Uh, the Department of Investigation and the Federal Monitor were both, like, yelling about this, but not really taking it to the level of 
you know, making it on a making it into a front page New York Times story. So what they did was they in the 2021, there was a Brooklyn district attorney arrest of a bunch of of these contractors. Uh, but it was it didn't do it didn't dent the problem. It just was just like a little kind of a speed bump for these contractors because they kept doing this all over the place. Then in 2022, the feds arrested two of the superintendents, and none of these things got any coverage. Nobody paid any attention to this stuff until this thing that happened on February 6th, where they made this big public statement and arrested 70 people, which is, that's a lot of people. I don't think you can fit those people on a school bus. Uh, so so you have this big uh, uh, thing that, that, that Damian Williams, the Southern District U.S. Attorney, was making a point, I guess it was the same, sending a message that this is a huge problem and it has to stop. But as I have rep- repeatedly reported, the, the warning bells have been going off for five years. And, and Greg, what's so interesting is, you know, I, and I had reread your stories before the show today, and you had talked about the uh, the announcement by the U.S. attorney, and you had noted that in all the speeches about cracking down on the culture of corruption of, at NYCHA, and in 400, I'm reading your story, 476 pages of criminal complaints, not a single top-level NYCHA manager was mentioned. So given the fact that I'm re-binging a TV show where everyone who's arrested is low-level, and it's always used to kind of uh, be able to turn them into sources to be able to go after top management. I'm wondering, is that where you think this is headed, that we're going to see more arrests and it'll be more of the higher level managers in NYCHA? Well, I mean, I, I don't know that this could be arrests because it took them five years to do this for these, uh, you know, the, the, the bureaucrats in the middle. Uh, could they do that? I can just tell you that the top of the top of the chain was well aware of this. In 2021, DOI sent the then chairman of the Housing Authority, Greg Russ, and the, uh, in, in, in a very uh, terse but, but very straightforward letter, telling him that you need to get the superintendents out of this process. Just get them out and put it into headquarters, and that, that way you can monitor it. And Russ just ignored it. And said, "Nah, we're not doing that." Because they, the big thing was they really they, their whole thing was to get these repair uh, requests answered, which is you know reasonable. But at the cost of that was corruption. And so whether it goes up the chain, I don't know. Whether the, I, I mean, like you'd have to what you'd have to do is you'd have to show that they were well they we, we can already say that they were told they knew all about this but then you'd have to say you'd have to i guess you'd have to prove that they de- like deliberately were aware of the corruption i mean they were warned about the potential for corruption but if they knew about the actual corruption that would be a problem uh what where this goes i i can't say 
We're talking with investigative reporter Greg B. Smith of the nonprofit newsroom, The City. This is WBAI's Driving Forces. Greg, so this is the easy question. Just kidding. This is actually a hard question, but I think it's the question that everybody wants to know the answer to, which is like, in your professional opinion, having written about this for years and looking at this for years and asking questions about this for a year, why is NYCHA such a mess? Like, is it a bureaucracy that is like, so big that it can't function anymore? Is it incompetent leadership? Is it a lack of funding? Is it deferred maintenance that has just gotten so bad it can't be fixed? Or is it, uh, which is one of my suspicions, that people who live in public housing are not a priority for the city? You know, what, yeah, talk I mean, to I us just a little bit about all, all those things. things. That's all true. Every Every single thing you just said there is true. I mean, uh, the biggest problem with it is it, for years, it was not a priority. I mean, it was just, and, you know, Bloomberg, I don't think Bloomberg went to a, uh, uh, a housing project once during his three terms. De Blasio made a lot of smoke about it, and uh, it was, his whole focus was to try to shift management over to private developers. But at, in terms of, like, really turning around this the ship, it, it hasn't happened. It is it – is, um, the New York City Housing Authority is bigger than HUD. There are more; it's more money, uh, it's more um, uh, more employees work for um, the New York City Housing Authority than work for HUD, and there are 450,000 tenants. That's huge. I mean, that's bigger than a lot of cities in America. So it's really impossible to understand the, the scope of the thing, and that's been a huge obstacle to turning the to make making this making the thing i have to do every day which is write these stories stop because i believe me tomorrow if i didn't have to write another housing authority story because things are better i would be very happy we could be having a very similar conversation with one of your colleagues, Ravine, about Rikers Island right now, because so much of what we're talking about and the systemic problems that have gone on for for a number of years, for decades, just keep continuing. So as we look ahead, what are you going to be looking at in the coming months? Where, where are you going to look to to see if there are signs that people have awakened to this and are are going to reform and improve the system? Well, I mean, first of all, I'm going to be writing soon about how this microcontract thing, it, like what what was really going on on the ground, and it's kind of disturbing uh, be, because it was it, like hiding in plain sight is an understatement. I mean, it was so obvious and open, um, but that's number one. Number two, the the problem is that the, the the federal monitor that there was a there's a whole federal case. The U.S. attorney got involved uh, back in 2016 and ultimately uh, 2018 and ultimately um, HUD and NYCHA and then Mayor de Blasio and the U.S. attorney at the time signed an agreement to uh, try to fix things. And that involved bringing in a federal monitor. The federal monitor was given a five year uh, contract, basically, to, to see to make this happen. And then NYCHA was supposed to try to get these very specific goal, goals that they had agreed to uh, accomplished in that time. They did not. So what that means is now the five-year mark, which was just last month, expires. And so what happens? 
Well, that monitor is now, uh, they're not going to keep that monitor. They're going to bring in a new monitor. And I don't know what that person, that person's going to, I mean, it's a, it's a big law firm. They're going to have to come in and kind of understand the complexity, this Byzantine world of the New York City Housing Authority. And I'll be, I'll be keeping an eye on that as well. And just sort of a last question as, as we're, we're winding this up, and I have many more questions. I could keep you on the phone all day, but I'm trying to be a nice guy because I'm a nice guy. But, <laughs> you know, since you started covering NYCHA, just in general, I know it's probably hard to make a generalization, but do you have any sense of whether conditions have gotten better in public yeah. housing in any way, worse, about the same? Yes, yes, yes. That, I, that I'm happy to answer. Um, I think primarily because of outside forces, and I consider the federal monitor to be an outside force, uh, but also there was a lawsuit that was brought by Metro IAF, which is a consortium of uh, churches that are, uh, push for affordable housing in the city. Uh, they sued NYCHA, and between those two entities, two things have, in fact, improved. One, with the monitor's oversight, the uh, problem of lead paint which has a terrible impact on young children. Uh, if they ingest it, it does damage, uh, cut to their cognitive development. Uh, the monitor has turned that ship around anyway, because the, the, uh, during the de Blasio term and, and Bloomberg and, and pretty much all of the rest of them, they weren't testing it. They were just kind of pretending it didn't exist and they were telling HUD that they were testing it and that everything was fine. When the monitor comes in, they go into these apartments and they essentially get the housing authority to go back and retest thousands of apartments. And sure enough, there's lead paint. And so because of that, they have been very systematically evading that stuff and getting it out of the apartments, which is good. That's number one. Number two, Metro IAF's lawsuit has resulted in significant attention focused on the issue of, and I'm, I, you know, this is my, my favorite term when dealing with this, toxic mold. Uh, toxic mold, problem that has, comes out of moisture that builds up in bathrooms, and then the stuff gets into the, uh, to, you know, the spores. You can breathe that stuff in, and if you have a respiratory problem, it's, it's really bad. So the lawsuit, again, required NYCHA to to focus on this problem. And they brought in uh, two different consultants. One was to deal with how do you how do you get rid of this moisture? And like they systematically went in and they had they've done a really good job of cleaning out the kind of circulation systems in the uh, buildings that that these buildings are really old and they require on these crazy uh, air duct systems that are have roof fans that were all broken. They've fixed almost all of them. So the, the number of mold complaints from tenants has um, dropped by 50%. So that's a good thing. So those are two good things that have happened, but many more things have to happen going forward. And Greg B. Smith, we're going to have you back on the program for sure to talk about that going ahead. We'll be interested to see what happens with uh, the people who were busted in this uh, this big NYCHA case. But for the moment, where can people go to find out about you and your work on uh, the problems at NYCHA? We are um, a nonprofit news organization called The City. 
and you can just uh, check us out. You put you, all you have to do is just search thecity.nyc, and you'll get us. And we publish five days a week, and there's new stuff on there all the time, not just NYCHA. Uh, Jeff mentioned my colleague, Ruvain, who covers Rikers, but we have reporters who are covering the migrant situation. Uh, we have an environmental reporter. Uh, we have city hall reporters. We are all over that this place. Uh, we don't have to write about Trump, so that gives us a huge advantage. That, that allows us to write about, like, stuff that affects people's lives on the ground. And I uh, urge uh, anybody who can uh, take the time and is interested in local news, check us out. Definitely, definitely. Everyone check it out for sure. The city.nyc. Greg B. Smith, always a pleasure. Always a pleasure to have you here on the program. And uh, we look forward to having you back very soon. Thanks for having me. And that was our conversation with Greg B. Smith of the nonprofit news outlet, The City. If you just tuned in, you're listening to Driving Forces on WBAI, New York 99.5 FM, and also streaming live at WBAI.org. I'm your host, Jeff Simmons, joined with the scintillating Celeste Katz-Marston. And we want to bring you important programs like this to discuss topics like NYCHA, but we can only do that because... We have your help, or we need your help. It only takes a minute to support the kind of free speech radio that we bring you here on Driving Forces and on WBAI. So we're counting on you to keep us on the air. Please take a few moments and go to WBAI.org today. And when you do that, you're standing up for free speech radio. That is WBAI.org. Absolutely. It's really important. Just take a moment today, please. We just want to remind you, your contribution is tax deductible, tax deductible. Do something good for WBAI. Do something good for your tax bill. You know, can you do $20 a month? That would be great. If you could do 20 or $25 a month, if you think about it in relation to all the other things going on in your life, if that's doable for you, we are happy happy, happy to have your support. If it's more like $10 or $15, that's okay. That's okay too. Whatever works for you. But in any case, no matter how much it is, your support for this station does matter. Please visit WBAI.org to make your gift today. If we don't raise enough money, we're getting kicked off the air. We are not going to have this show anymore, and possibly we will not even have WBAI as the community resource that it has been for more than 60 years. So please check it out. Go to WBAI.org today, and thank you. So we're going to open the phone lines now so we can hear from you. Give us a call, 212-209-2877. That's 212-209-2877. Get in on this conversation, 212-209-2877. What do you think of what's going on at NYCHA? We're going to be right back with your calls. You're listening to WBAI New York.
Ladies here on WBAI New York Old Apartment. This is Driving Forces. I'm Celeste Katz Marston here with Jeff Simmons. We are now taking your calls 212 209 2877. 212 209 2877. I know people have things to say about this. Call in 212 209 2877. We are talking about NYCHA, the New York City Housing Authority, huge, huge corruption bust, record-breaking corruption bust, 70 assistants, uh, assistant superintendents, superintendents, retired superintendents, all busted for taking bribes to hand out contracts. You have something to say about this, 212-209-2877. We're going to go to the phones right now, WBAI. You are on the air. What's your name and where are you calling from? Hi, this is Cruz from Central Harlem. Um, Hi, Cruz. So this is very, very low-hanging fruit in the whole big scheme of things, right? Um, As the reporter uh, was trying to start talking about, like the basic thing of uh, uh, rooftop um, fans to pull the exhaust out, that should have been inspected a long time ago, right? These are things that are supposed to be part of a system already of checks and balances. So I think going back to even past the Bloomberg, although he, he put it in warp drive, to continue the privatizing of public housing, so it falls into that whole agenda, right? So like right now, all these, or many of the larger of Brooklyn and Bronx and Manhattan 
public housing is being given to private hands. Why? Because of disrepair. That doesn't start from the supers that are handling the building only. Those are like, you know, bottom feeders. The big fruit is on the top. So I think the investigation was lame. It's a photo op to distract from what's really going on. So if real investigation was going on, it starts in the top where the administration is at and goes all the way to the mayor and the governor, who's part of that whole corruption system that doesn't care about the poor and the working classes of the city. That's so, my opinion. Thank you very so, much. Cruz, so do you think that NYCHA would be better off if it was run by a private entity? Do you think that government no. is just not cutting it? What do you think should happen? No. Um, I think that it actually should be um, revamped. So I don't know if you all are aware how it works, right? Before, they used to have in-house repairs at every um, actual housing authority. So every housing authority was a universe within itself. So they had people that they trained that in most cases lived there. So they slowly withered that down where they actually had very much like in your own building, right? There's a super and the only time somebody comes in from the outside is it's some major thing, structurally speaking, but they already have. NYCHA is so big that it actually could have very much like the transit authority have their own in-house cabinet makers, their own in-house, you know, uh, linkages, even with, you know, paint companies and all this stuff, because we're not talking about um, like two units or whatever. We're talking about hundreds and thousands of units. Right. So you can hire within people that actually live there to learn how to work and fix their own units. So those things like, you know, small leaks could be immediately handled rather than worrying about it or letting it fester so now it's now a ceiling that's collapsing when it could have been a $5 solution, right, of changing a washer or some plastic piping, right? Um, mm-hmm. The use of the same old materials. We have a material now, this thing, rather than smoking hemp, hemp is a extremely versatile product. This thing is mold and um, rodent resistant, which mm-hmm. is a major problem in most mm-hmm. cities, right? So why is that not being used? That's a job, right? And that's work because this thing has a, a plant life or a harvest, a planting to harvest um, life of seven, uh, of 70 days. So that means you could hire people or fa- uh, farms upstate to grow the hemp, bring it down rather than smoking it, actually use it as building mm-hmm. material, right? So then that's work that it gets done one time and that's it because it has a 25 to 30 year lifespan. Okay. Mm-hmm. So that's at least, you know, Thank you, Cruz. We really appreciate it. I'm sorry. We we have another caller holding, so we're going to have to jump off. But thank you, Cruz, so much. And that's an interesting idea. You know, is there some way to to get people involved in the maintenance of these properties in some sort of sustainable fashion? We talk about hemp a lot as a a sustainable uh, product. And Chris, thank you so much for calling in. Before we get to the next call, I just want to remind our listeners, you are listening to Driving Forces on WBAI 99.5 FM New York and also streaming live 
at WBAI.org. I'm your host, Jeff Simmons, joined by Celeste Katz-Marston. We're taking your calls. The topic today is NYCHA um, and its uh, rampant dysfunction and the arrests of 70 people that took place last week. Give us a call at 212-209-2877. That's 212-209-2877. Let's get to that next call. Welcome to WBAI. You're on the air. What's your name and where are you calling from? Yes, good evening. My name is Manuel. I'm calling from East New York, Brooklyn. Well, Thank you, Manu- about- Manuel. What's on your mind today? Yeah, well, this isn't about NYCHA, but it's about the whole bidding system within the whole uh, HBD uh, 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 repairs kind of thing. Because I'm in an apartment, and my landlord is trying to evict me illegally. I have all the paperwork. I went to court against him and all of that. And he turned off the lights, the water, the gas has been off. So basically, I'm living without all this stuff, and I call emergency repairs because I have a court order to put this stuff back on. And they're telling me, this is four months going on, they're telling me that they have to wait on a bidding process in order for this thing to get done, for people to come in and actually turn the stuff back on and put it together. I've been calling, I've been being patient with the situation. It's all dependent on a bidding process. You tell me you've been. I'm sorry. I don't mean to. I don't mean to interrupt you. But are you trying to tell me you haven't had like power or heat no, for four no. months? <laughs> no, and they know about it. It's been over four months. Yes, yeah. that, that can't be over legal. four months. They just came in and put my door, front door on because uh, the landlord took off the door also. So this is a situation, and they know that the HPD, the uh, emergency repairs department knows. And no matter how many times I call them, they give me the same old runaround. Um, you know, we have to wait for the bidding. We have. To, I'm like, I thought this place is so big, and there's so many skilled craftsmen and in-house people that could do these kinds of jobs. That's what I expected. But they have to wait on the bidding process and do all of that. They just came and put the, the door that the landlord took off on my front door. Manuel, one thing I'm going to interrupt too. One thing I want you to do is that when we end your call on our end, I want you to just give Reggie, our engineer, uh, your um, your full name and uh, phone number or contact number. I'd be happy to send it over to someone that I've been in touch with at HPD and be able to also Mm -hmm. send him a link to the show so he could hear what your concerns are. If you'd like that. Okay. Okay. Thank you very much. Could you just switch me to Reggie? Thank you. Yeah, Reggie's going to uh, Reggie's going to be able to take that. Celeste, did you want to say something, too? No, I mean, I, I think that's a great idea. I was just going to say if we could get your information, maybe there's something we can we can help you with, because I don't think being in that situation for for four months is is legal. I, I don't I don't if you have an eviction proceeding in place, like I understand that. And if you're fighting that in court and that's, you know, in the process, that's that's one thing. But I, I think that during the time in which those legal issues are being sorted out, they can't there's no legitimate excuse that I can possibly think of bidding or anything else for letting somebody live in an apartment with no lights and no I mean that's just bizarre to me I, I'm, I'm sure it's it's a complicated situation but if you can give Reggie your information um, when we pop off here that would be really great can you can you do that okay thank you I guess we are we are going to be waiting for some more callers right now 212-209-2877 212-209-2877 but in the meantime uh I think this is a really good example of why community radio matters, okay? Because 
Are you going to call up a major TV station uh, or even in some cases a major newspaper? Sadly, the ones that are still left, fortunately, there are still some community newspapers that might be able to help you out. But um, a lot of local media organizations and people who cover local news are under really, really heavy pressure. I mean, we just had, what was it, last week or uh, two weeks ago, Jeff, we talked to um, Michael Sheridan at the New York Daily News, right? They're under a lot of pressure uh, financially staff's gotten a lot smaller. They're, they're, you know, dealing with some union issues, trying to get better working conditions. But the point is, local media matters. Community media matters. This is a person who called in, heard a show that was relevant to him, and we're trying to help him out. That's the kind of thing that WBAI has the power to do. So please take a moment today. Go to WBAI.org. Keep us on the air. Help us keep having important conversations. Help us keep helping people and giving voice to people in New York who are trying to be heard and sometimes have a very hard time doing that because, you know, some people are in a situation and they have a major problem and they're just not getting the help they need. People are not making them a priority. WBAI wants to make real people, real New Yorkers a priority, but we cannot do that alone. We cannot do that without your help. And we certainly cannot do that if we cannot maintain our signal and we cost us $17,000 a month to pay the rent on our broadcast tower at four times square. Please go to WBAI.org today. Support this station. Help us keep helping New Yorkers. We are going to go back to the phones. 212-209-2877. 212-209-2877. We're going back to our first caller again. WBAI, you are on the air. What's your name and where are you calling from? Hi. Hello. I think it's just me and you. Oh, really? Oh, this is you. You are my consolation prize. Everybody call in quick. 212-209-2877. Otherwise, I'll have to sit here talking to Jeff. 212-209-2877. We only have a minute, a few minutes left. But, um, you know, very interesting discussion, Jeff, right? You know, and there's something I just wanted. Greg gave this quote, which was really really telling and i think it it really shows how rampant corruption can just how it could just you could get away with things he said the key to corruption is to have nobody look and that's what is so telling is how often when these things come to light it's because someone finally looked but these things go on for years i remember in the controller's office how many times we would get requests for specific types of audits that had never been done before And when we looked at it, we found that there were systemic problems in an agency. You know, we were only required to audit each agency every few years, but then there were some where we just did myriad audits on them. I remember the number, the flurry of ones we did on the, back then, I guess it was called, then it was called the Department of Education, or maybe it was the Board of Ed, it was transitioning to become the Department of Ed. But, you know, that's what we also want to hear. So when folks like Manuel call us and tell us about these things, yeah, if I could help out and reach out to an agency and let them know you need to hear this was on the air, can you address this? Great, but at the same time, call us and tell them because sometimes that is what it takes is to make things public, to go to TV or go to radio and say these things publicly and then the issues come to light, right, Celeste? 
Yes. And Jeff, you can only do that if you still have a radio station. So I just want to repeat this one more time, please. We are doing this for New York. Jeff and I are volunteers. We do work hard to bring you really important, meaningful programs on sometimes difficult topics like today's program on the New York City Housing Authority. But we are doing our best here. We cannot do this without you. It only takes a minute, one minute to support the kind of free speech, independent, non-commercial radio you cannot get anywhere else. Big business does not power the station. You power the station, please. Go to WBAI.org today. Stand up for free speech radio. WBAI.org. Click the green button. You cannot miss it. You can also become a BAI buddy. That's someone who gives an ongoing contribution, a recurring donation. You can give us $15 a month, more if you can possibly handle it. But please, it is it is not a time to sit back and wait for the next guy. Step up. Step up for independent free speech local radio, WBAI.org. Please do it today. And thank you. That is our program just about. Thanks to our special, special guest, Greg B. Smith of The City. Thanks to our engineer, Reggie Johnson. And of course, thanks to you, our listeners and our supporters. Jeff, what do we have coming up? Well, at the top of the show, I mentioned how I am type A, so that I... I already plan next week because I want to be able to tell our listeners it's important. It's a good topic, especially because many of you have called in in the past have noted your age. And I thought, you know what? I'm turning 60 later this year. I also want care about certain issues a lot more, uh, more prominently than I had. So next week, we've got a great show lined up for you and a timely one, particularly as the issue of age of our leading presidential candidates is getting a lot of traction these days. And I'm not sure if you read that New York Times piece earlier this week, but it's worth a look at at the leading candidates right now and their age and is there a lot of ageism going on so next week we're going to focus on ageism and the growing needs of our aging population we're going to be joined by new york city council member crystal hudson who chairs the council's aging committee and actually has a hearing coming up on the 27th of this month on the issues faced by aging immigrants in new york and then we're going to be joined by beth finkel who's the state director of aarp new york and Celeste and I are carving out time at the end of the show so we can, again, take your calls because we know that's important to you and we're going to make a point of doing this. We ask for your donations. We want to make sure we give you more time to be able to raise your voices and speak on our show. Thanks, Jeff. If you missed any part of this show, you can find Driving Forces on Apple, SoundCloud, and wherever you get your podcasts. This has been Driving Forces with Celeste Katz, Marston, and Jeff Simmons. Thanks for listening and stay tuned to WBAI for more great programming. See you on the radio. Thank you.